Welcome to the unofficial House of Wind book club, ran by two best friends and self-declared members of the Night Court. Today we are discussing chapters 7 and 8 of A Court of Mist and Fury. I know you can hear me from the dark. I know you're listening from afar. Abby, how has your week been? Fucking, I'm, oh, that's a rough way to start this. But mm, fucking horrible, thanks. Just get right into it. I got COVID. Mmm, delicious. It was real fun. Actually, it was Libby the last time we recorded the podcast. I had mentioned that my husband had a man cold, and I was jokingly calling it the plague. Well, (laughs) turns out it wasn't a joke. It was actually the plague, and he had COVID. And it wasn't a man cold. It was pretty rough. I made him go to work the next day because I was like, buddy, you can do this. I have faith you can go to work. He is really dramatic with his colds. And I was like, you're fine. Because he didn't look rough. Right. He looked fine. So he went to work and he messaged me because I had a doctor's appointment. He came back 20 minutes after my doctor's appointment started. And he was like, hey, you need to come get me. And I was like, okay. He's like, okay, I have to go to flight med to make sure like he's good to go. And they're going to give him like cold medicine. Yeah. He's like, but I have to k- take a COVID test first. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm at the pharmacy anyway. I'll just pick you up one because the military is pretty nice. Gives them to us for free. And I went and picked one up and the lady was like, hey, do you need more than two? And I was like, no, I don't think he has COVID. So this is kind of a preemptive measure. I'm good. Yeah. Well, uh, joke's on me. Oops. Because as this man takes the test as we're driving home, I have never seen a positive show up quicker in my entire life. Oh. He was pregnant with COVID in two seconds. Like you could just, (laughs) the line was there. Love it. I was trying really hard not to get it because I scheduled my weekends out like months in advance with photo shoots. Right. And I really didn't want to have to reschedule my clients. I kept off and kept testing negative until Tuesday evening where I just felt like I got hit by a truck. And I was like, "Mm, this is not good. And turns out I also got the COVID. So we spent, what, a full week? Dying. Dying. I mean, I had COVID previously in 2020, and we've lasted four years without it, which I think is pretty decent. It was rough. I did nothing but sleep. And like the first couple days leading up to when I had COVID, I said I didn't have any symptoms, but I was just really, really tired and achy. Yeah. So I just read Throne of Glass for like hours every day. But it got to the point like, I didn't do anything but sleep. I slept for 19 hours one day. Holy crap. In a row. Oh my God. Yeah. I woke up and I was like, this is a whole new life. It was just really rough. And then James was also feeling rough. Our house was just a mess because who wants to clean when they have COVID? And then like a flip of a switch, literally the the next Tuesday, a week to the day, I felt completely fine. Huh. Dying on Monday and then completely fine on Tuesday. It was insane. I'm not dead. I only felt like I died. How was your lovely week? It was pretty calm. We had been out and about and I wore my Baz Guyeth War College sweatshirt and I got a lot of comments like people liking my sweatshirt. It's popular. It was, but mostly from men. 
burly, bigger, like lumberjacky, bodybuilding looking type. I fucking love it. It was the strangest yet coolest thing ever. There were like these bigger guys, like one of them with this long red beard. And he was just like, that's a great shirt. I love it. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> okay. Very surprised. I know what your girlfriend's into. Did you learn this from like a female in your life or like... Did you read it? Because that's either way, like, that's awesome. I was expecting more, I, I don't know, maybe that's sexist of me. I was expecting more females, more women to comment on my sweatshirt. And no, just mostly men. And I don't know why, but it was like the greatest thing ever. And it just made me so hopeful for <laughs> for society and the world. And just like, oh, maybe something something good is happening. Have you seen the TikTok that is like, reading my wife's books is now my new favorite hobby yes that's honestly how i feel it is because your husband has he started throwing a blast didn't he he did he read throwing a blast the first one and he's got like no time with the way his work is going right now same so he's planning to listen on the audible to the remaining series beautiful yeah still counts totally fine. do you do the audible family where he can have your books and you can have his yes perfection except i don't listen to his because his are all like warhammer lore folklore book type thing <laughs> not that i have anything against it i just i don't play warhammer so it's not for me james has all the five nights of freddy's like lore books or world of warcraft lore yeah so we don't share ours specifically because that would overwhelm me ours is a mixture of my smutty books and his beautiful tabletop and two stories books if that makes any sense so it's it's a lot of fantasy in our in our shared account <laughs> libby you ready for a question oh, i'm excited for this question of the week i planned this question of the week a while back and i'm excited we finally get to ask it i'm glad you have an answer that's good because <laughs> one of us does not libby would you survive a zombie apocalypse absolutely not hands down no okay same no you know how many illnesses i have the second a zombie apocalypse hits and the pharmacies get raided you wouldn't be able to get insulin i'd be dead i'd be so dead so fast it's not funny but it's funny oh no it is it's so real i would die so quickly i'd be one of the early ones have you ever seen there's an episode of the office where dwight and jim are talking about how long jim would live in a post-apocalyptic world and he's just like one year and dwight's like yeah yeah you'd probably survive and they just keep saying he's like okay two years three years four years five years i wouldn't make it through a, a week I, pr I really probably wouldn't i would not get far at all i know that my husband probably would libby they wouldn't have a working bathroom it, no see that right there i'd be out right there the heat i understand that you have no ac but not even a working fan no alternative no. electricity power sources i'd be done and then waiting in like a bunker somewhere or something what you're gonna have limited books limited entertainment no we both have anxiety i can't do it could you imagine <laughs> i have anxiety about going to the grocery store could you imagine me trying to live <laughs> in a post-apocalyptic world and no way also running gross you know what though everyone else would be so stressed and overwhelmed and everyone's emotions would be running so high and the second someone yells at me whether they mean to or not even just out of stress i'd be crying, crying. Mm -hmm. yeah couldn't do it would not be able to survive a zombie apocalypse i hope that my husband would be so amazing that somehow he'd make sure that like we'd all stay alive but realistically i'd be like no you and our kid just get out do what you need to do survive more in my memory you have a 
stockpile of insulin. <laughs> you would, I mean, like Libby could open up her own pharmacy at this point. Stockpile. You would be good for probably a month. I mean, but I'd have to find a way to keep it cold too. Oh. Yep. Insulin requires refrigeration. I've been reading too much Throne of Glass and I went, well, Rowan can just help you. That was my genuine first thought. <laughs> like that was a not even where's the problem this isn't reality just why couldn't rowan help you no i was like duh rowan can help you and then and my brain went they're not real you know i wish he could i wish he could abby i would absolutely appreciate that if they were real oh my god so abby you already answered you said no do you have more reasoning behind it yeah i can't run (laughs) like that's that's it one okay there's multiple answers are we talking about if i live in italy at the time or if i'm in america because that's vastly different resources today right in this moment if like while we're recording dead zombie dead. apocalypse broke out dead <laughs> dead just dead <laughs> I live in a relative city um, and I don't know my neighbors and I have no qualms that they would kill me. Like we're we're the Americans on the street. We'd be dead first for like meat or something. (laughs) Also like I can't grow stuff here. We'd have no food. Like I grocery shop week to week. I don't really have a stockpile of anything here. We'd be dead. Maybe I could trade my ability to grow plants, my vegetables so well because I don't know what it is. I have a green thumb when it comes to vegetables. But no flowers? Flowers hate me. Elaine and I are complete opposite. You'd be helpful. If you keep me safe and alive, I'll grow your food. I will handle all of it around the clock. I will feed everybody. Like if you can keep me alive, I'll make sure we're we're fed. Maybe I can get away with that. And you live in a climate that you can do that. I do. It frosted last night. All my plants would be dead if they were alive. Can zombies swim? We could probably take one of those naval ships make a big society in the middle of the ocean are you googling if zombies can swim of course i love this i love it zombies can't swim executive producer dave erickson said at the amc's panel on saturday they can wade okay we could just make a big boat society you know you'd run out of water to drink you can grow plants but then you'd run out eventually run out of like soil or seeds or that's when you send your strongest out to the mainland the actual land to bring back the resources and then people like me, the softies, the um, easily killable babies stay on the ships. I would like to say that my husband would make sure we survived as long as possible. I have no qualms about him making sure we survive. Like that man will fight to the death for us. <laughs> I, on the other hand, would be just sobbing. Because like all of my hobbies besides reading involve electricity. Right. Like photography, I got to charge my camera. Even my reading hobby, Abigail. I read on my nook. (laughs) My Kindle. Honestly, when you said, would you survive a zombie apocalypse? I was like, yeah, for the first like week while my Kindle works. (laughs) And then, nope. You know what would happen? I'd fall asleep reading it. And because I fell asleep and didn't turn the screen off, it would die faster. Like, that's what would happen to me. Does the Nook not have an auto shut off? It does, but I tend to not <laughs> turn it on. Mine would just always be dead if I didn't because I will fall asleep reading it and then it just turns off. But no, I would not even a little bit. I couldn't cook. Who the fuck wants to make a fire? Mm-mm. I have some wood outside, I guess. It gets cold here. The radiators would stop working. Italy's power is like <laughs> barely holding on already. no i'm excited about today's chapter i have so many notes abigail oh i should probably get my book out so many highlighted notes oh yeah you should that's necessary please look she's pretty 
You're so early on, and yet you have so many tabs in that book. So the last book, I, which is officially on my Instagram, was all like pastel-y colors, and I highlighted in pastels and tried to be all aesthetic. Yeah, no, this one is just pure highlighter colors, and it makes me so happy. So yes, I have all my little tabs for all my little chapters. She's cute. She's cute. Libby, I do have very many notes. Hmm. Your chapter is so long. It was. It was. Yes. I have nothing more to say than I can confirm. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. That was 22 pages. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, my friend. Are you ready to read your novel? This podcast episode contains discussions and commentary on the series A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Mass. We believe that our use of copyrighted material falls under the doctrine of fair use, as we are providing transformative commentary, analysis, and discussion for educational and entertainment purposes. We respect the rights of the copyright owner, and our use is in accordance with the principles of fair use under copyright law. Listeners are encouraged to obtain their own copy of A Court of Thorns and Roses series by Sarah J. Mass to fully enjoy and appreciate the work in its entirety. Don't sue us, Estio. Don't sue us. Don't sue us, bestie. Before I start my mini novella of a chapter. It's a whole ass novella. I have a note that I don't remember typing this, but I see it here that I, I typed apparently on January 20th, 2024 at 4.28 a.m. I guess I woke up oh. and typed this. I don't know what happened. This, <laughs> These chapters, these next several chapters had me feeling a certain type of way. And I said, this may be my comfort book. These chapters are not the comfort part of the book. <laughs> these chapters are actually one of my favorite parts of the book. So I <laughs> Oh no, they're it. great. But these are not the comforting parts. No, these are no, not, no, no. These are not the healing parts of the book. Absolutely not. So when you're listening to this thinking, this is, this is Libby's comfort book just just wait guys it is. just wait we will get there we will get to the comforts but this ain't it chapter seven war favorite begged reese please don't invade she'd crawl on her knees for this she begged him again reese quietly assured her that he was not going to invade the human lands then snapped at her to put her damn shields up favor felt so tired though he demanded that she shield now she did so, despite her exhaustion. Reese explained that the King of Highburn had been planning to reclaim the human lands south of the wall for over a hundred years. Amarantha was a 49-year experiment to see how easily a territory may fall and be controlled. Prithian is all that stands between the king and the land he desires. The King of Highburn would seek to remove Prithian from standing in his way, no matter what it took. The wall already had holes in it, but the king wanted the whole thing torn down. Feyre asked when the attack would come. But that was the question in need of being answered. Reese didn't know when or where the king planned on attacking Prithian or who might be allied with the king, which is why Reese needed Feyre. Reese had fought in the last war against Tyburn, and he had no interest in seeing such a slaughter ever again. Reese was convinced the king would rather take Prithian through stealth and deception to weaken Prithian first rather than fight it. Amarantha was the first step, leaving Prithian with numerous young, untested high lords. Prithian's residence so broken and priestesses hungry for power and control. Favor questioned why Reese would tell her all of this. He told her for two reasons. One, she's close to Tamlin. Tamlin has males and he has long-lasting ties to Highburn. Favor cut in defending that Tamlin would never help Highburn. But Reese calmly stated he wanted to know if Tamlin would be willing to help Prithian and to use his connections to his advantage in the process. 
Tamlin and Reese weren't friendly to say the least, and Feyre could be their mediator of sorts. Feyre admitted that Tamlin won't talk to her about these things. Reese urged, it was time that Tamlin did. It was time for Feyre to insist Tamlin start. The second reason? Feyre has a skill set that Reese needs. She caught a serial, and he's never been able to. But why did this require Feyre learning to read? Reese guaranteed that she would learn that reason later on. Feyre doubted that she could help. There were far more skilled hunters, and Reese agreed, but Feyre was the only one he trusted. Feyre reminded him that she could betray him whenever she wanted. Reese again agreed, she could, but added that she wouldn't. Reese told Feyre that there was also the matter of her powers, to which she claimed not to have any. Reese questioned this. He felt she and Tamlin were pretending Feyre was normal, but Reese felt that since Feyre had been given life by all seven High Lords, that it was possible the High Lords had given some of their own powers without ever knowing. She could stand against them all, hold her own as High Lady. Feyre shut that down. There are no High Ladies. Reese was clearly irritated that she seriously thought this. He assured her they would be talking about that later, too. There can be high ladies, and Favor may not be one now, but she could be something similar. The powers she could wield could alter the outcome of the war in their favor. Favor reiterated that she wasn't sure she even had powers. Reese confirmed that she did, and she needed to start learning to wield them. Favor fought back, saying Tamlin wouldn't allow it. Reese did not accept this. He disputed that Tamlin isn't her keeper. Favor began to defend Tamlin further as she was Tamlin's subject and Tamlin was her high lord. But Reese was adamant that Favor was nobody's subject. Reese warned that he would only say the following one time. She could be someone's pawn and spend her immortal life bowing and pretending to be less. And if she chose that path, what a shame. But fine, it's her choice to make. But Pharaoh was already more, and Reese knew she could be even more than she realized. Reese knew she wouldn't enjoy a life of being a trophy for someone who did nothing for 50 years and sat back as Pharaoh was broken apart. Pharaoh shouted for him to stop. Reese continued. Pharaoh had another choice. She could master whatever powers she received and play her needed role in this inevitable war. The Fae would not care about her family over the wall, so if she wanted to save them, then she better become someone that all of Prithian listened to. Become necessary. Become a weapon. She could be the only thing standing between the King of Highburn and her human family, and she wouldn't want to be unprepared for that. Reese told Feyre to take the rest of the week and think it over. Consult with Tamlin and the oh-so-charming Ianthe if she needed to. Regardless, it would be Feyre's choice alone to make. Nobody else's. Feyre didn't see Reese or more the rest of that week. She continued to get Reese's sentences for her to write out each day. Resand is the most handsome High Lord. Resand is the most delightful High Lord. Resand is the most cunning High Lord. She would write her sentences, then practice her shielding. Up, down, up, down, over and over. Favor continued to have nightmares, but she never needed to rush to the bathroom. The walls weren't closing in on her here. She knew where she was, even if she hated being there. The day before Pharaoh was to return home, she heard Reese and Orr speaking. Someone named Azriel would want to know some type of information. Reese stated that Azriel could go to hell. Asriel already knew anyways. Reese pushed as Moore made a face and Moore eventually caved and told Reese of an attack that had happened at a temple in Cesare. Almost every priestess within had been slain and the trove looted. Reese asked who? Who had done this? But they didn't know this yet. The same tracks were left as last time. There weren't any survivors and the bodies weren't found until a group of pilgrims had gone the next day. Favor made a noise and Moore gave her a sympathetic look. Reese's wings took form and Favor admired the dark as night, beautiful, brutal, strong as hell wings alike those of a bat. Moore answered Reese that Azriel was pissed as hell over this and they were trying to figure out if this was the work of a rogue Illyrian. 
Reese mentioned some Illyrian clans had bowed to Amarantha during those years, so this was something to consider. Moore told Reese that Cassian and Naz were waiting, pausing to be careful of what Feyre would learn. They were waiting in their usual spot. Reese told her he would be there in a few hours. Moore vanished, and Feyre quietly asked Reese how that worked. Winnowing? It was like having two points on a piece of cloth. One point was the current physical location, and the other is the destination they wanted to go. Winnowing was like folding that cloth so the two spots aligned. The magic did the folding, and all they had to do was step over to that spot. Some steps were larger than others. Winnowing was a rare yet helpful gift to have. Only stronger Faye could do it. Feyre asked what Illyrian warbands were, and Reese snapped that they were arrogant bastards. A warrior race within the night court and pains in his ass. The ones that had supported Amarantha were hunted down in the last few months. Reese was done talking and flew off to meet whoever or wherever Cassian and Azriel were. Favor worked on her sentences. Resand is interesting. Resand is gorgeous. Resand is flawless. Then raised and lowered her shields. Favor wondered if Ianthe would know more about the priestesses being murdered. She must. Tamlin should know. Feyre could barely sleep, and when dawn arrived, she was dressed and ready before the sun had risen. Feyre approached Reese and demanded to be taken home. Good morning, Feyre, Reese said back. Feyre again insisted he take her home. Reese complimented the color of her clothes, and Feyre, irritated, asked if she needed to say please. Reese told her he wanted Feyre to talk to him like he was a person. Start with good morning and go from there. Favor told Reese good morning and then he asked her if she was ready to face the consequences of her actions. But of course, they probably wouldn't address it at all. Just sweep it under the rug and pretend all was well. Favor addressed him as Reese Sand and he chuckled that he had given her a week of luxury and she was calling him Reese Sand. Her face had some color and the bags under her eyes were almost cleared up and her mental shields were getting remarkably better. Feyre demanded again to be taken home. Reese passively shrugged that he would tell Moore that Feyre says goodbye. Feyre had barely seen her all week, but Reese mentioned that Moore had been waiting for an invitation. Feyre didn't seem to care. Nobody had told her. Reese retorted that Feyre hadn't bothered to ask, and why bother when she was better off miserable and alone? Reese asked if Feyre had thought about his offer. Feyre told him that she would let him know next month. Reese reiterated that he was not her enemy. Feyre responded that since Reese was Tamlin's enemy, it made him her enemy as well. Does it? Reese-Ann asked. Feyre told him he could free her from the bargain and find out. Feyre asked if he couldn't or simply wouldn't. Reese offered his hand so she could return home. Darkness consumed them as Reese winnowed them back. Once back in the spring court, Feyre pushed away from Reese. Feyre made to leave and Reese grabbed her wrist, wishing her good luck. Feyre pulled away, telling him to get his hands off her. Reese laughed and told Feyre he would see her next month. Then he was gone. Feyre found Tamlin and Lucian in the study, investigating a map with two sentries. Lucian turned to see Feyre first and Tamlin raced across the room to hug her tightly. Tamlin held her at arm's length to scan her up and down for any signs of injury or distress, asking if she was all right in the process. Favor told him she was fine, but Tamlin noticed in that moment she was wearing night court clothing that left her midriff exposed and Favor hurriedly announced that nobody had touched her. Tamlin continued to scan her body for damage and Favor reiterated that she had not been touched while also pulling away from his grasp. Tamlin was breathing irregularly and repeating to himself that Favor was fine. Lucian and the sentries began to leave, Lucian smiling to her with relief on his way out. 
Tamlin warned Feyre that Reese could harm her in other ways. Feyre knew this, but she was truly all right. Feyre then noticed claw marks across the study walls, and the table being used was not the one that had been there when she left. Tamlin had destroyed the study, half the house really, after Reese had stolen Feyre from him. Feyre defended that Reese had left her alone during her week, but Tamlin accused this of being a trick to make Feyre feel safe. This was just another of Reese's games. Favor tried comforting Tamlin by assuring him that she'd be careful next time, but Tamlin interrupted to make it clear that there would not be a next time. Favor was shocked to hear that there was a way out of the bargain, but all Tamlin said was that he would not let her go. Favor reminded him that there would be consequences to breaking the bargain. Damn the consequences, was Tamlin's response. Favor knew this was an empty promise and that this must have been so hard for the protector standing before her. She felt she could never ask him to stop being the defender of her, to stop worrying for her. Feyre stood on her toes and kissed Tamlin, beckoning him to join her upstairs. Tamlin wrapped his arms around her, telling her that he had missed her and gone out of his mind while she was gone. But then the moment was over, down to business. Tamlin had questions that Feyre needed to answer. Feyre pleaded to do that later, but Tamlin insisted that this had to happen now, while the information was fresh in her mind. Feyre was confused. The last time they had been apart for so long was when they were under the mountain with Amarantha. All Tamlin wanted to do now was question her for details about the night court. Favor tried to reason with him, but Tamlin held his hand up and called for Lucian. Tamlin quietly offered an apology, explaining this was for their own good, for their safety. Favor looked around the room and wondered again what nightmares and torture poor Tamlin must have gone through while she was gone. How awful it was for him to imagine her in the arms of his enemy. Favor tried her best to see his point of view and understand his feelings on the matter and agreed to comply. Lucian made a passive comment upon his arrival about doing without the night court attire she was dressed in and Tamlin growled in agreement. Tamlin pressed Favor for information on the layout of the night court, who all she had seen, what weapons and powers were used, what Reese had done, who Reese had spoken to, every little minute thing she saw and heard. Favor felt like she was expected to be their spy and Tamlin inadvertently confirmed this. He hated the bargain, but would use it to his advantage to learn all he could about the night court and its secrets. Feyre was possibly the only person to enter and leave the night court without having her mind altered or even fried. Feyre didn't understand why Tamlin cared. Tamlin wanted to know his enemy's plans, but refused to share why or what he wanted to do with the things he learned. Feyre felt she was being interrogated, and Tamlin seemed to grow frustrated, telling Feyre they needed to know these things. Could she not remember? Favor saw Tamlin's claws peeking out from his knuckles. Favor again defended that she had not been hurt or damaged, not even in her mind. Favor tried hard to see things from Tamlin's perspective, convincing herself that maybe her lessons in shielding had been a tool to scramble her mind. Favor revealed as much as she could, going over every word in detail with a fine-toothed comb until finally confessing her conversation with Reese concerning her potential powers and the King of Highburn's war plans. She revealed the information about the priestesses in Césaire that had been attacked and murdered. She revealed the names of the males Cassian and Asriel who Reese had mentioned. Lucian and Tamlin seemed to sour at the mention of these names, but said nothing. Feyre continued on about something called Illyrians and what little she knew about them. How Reese had hunted and killed the traitors? Feyre finished and asked Tamlin if he thought she might have such powers that Reese had been so sure of. Tamlin slightly confirmed it. It could be possible, but if it were true, then 
Lucian finished the thought aloud that it would be something the High Lords would kill for. They would want their power back from Tamlin's bride. Once word got out that Favor had these abilities, she would have more of a target on her back. Favor questioned the males, asking if they knew or only suspected this. And yes, they had known and hoped it wouldn't be true. Tamlin worried what Reese would do with this information, but Reese only wanted her to train to use these. Tamlin disagreed with this notion. Training would draw too much attention. She didn't need to train. Tamlin would guard her and keep her safe, but Favor remembered the times when he could not. She didn't want to be a victim of another Amarantha. She wouldn't stand idly by while the King of Highburn wrought his terror down and hurt her or her people on either side of the wall. Favor could use these powers against Highburn, to which Tamlin refused instantly. Out of the question. There wasn't even going to be a war, but Reese had said there would be. It was inevitable. Lucian scoffed at the idea that Reese seemed to know everything. Favor was sure that Reese didn't claim to know all, but he was concerned and Favor could make a difference in whatever was to come. Tamlin grew tense, reminding Favor that she had no training in battle or with weaponry, and it would take way too long for her to learn these things anyways. She wouldn't be able to hold her own, so he would never allow her to be anywhere near a battlefield. Favor didn't care, but Tamlin did. He cared if she died or was hurt for any danger she would probably be in for the rest of their immortal lives. He put his foot down on the idea of training. Her powers would remain a secret between them, not honed and controlled, just ignored. Lucian offered up the idea of Feyre training in secret, but Tamlin shut that down. There would be no conflict, no war with Highburn. Feyre couldn't hold back and snapped that this was wishful thinking. Tamlin ignored her and demanded that she again describe Reese's map room. Feyre told herself that Tamlin was her High Lord. She could bow to him on this one thing, but Reese's words rung in her mind. You are no one's subject. Maybe Rhysan had changed her mind, and the thought of that had Favor repeating the requested information to Tamlin yet again. Chapter 8. The following week brought the tithe. Feyre only had one day to spend with Tamlin upon returning. That singular day was spent wandering around the gardens, making love in the grasses of one particularly beautiful field, and dinner with just the two of them. Tamlin was then called to the border, but Feyre was kept unaware for the reason of his visit. She was only told to stay home and that the guards were to watch her every move. The other six days, Feyre spent by herself, including the nights where she woke up from her nightmares to throw up and cry. Ianthe was there, but they didn't talk much besides what she should wear and how they should do her hair for the tithe. Feyre asked Ianthe what she should expect to happen at the tithe, but Ianthe only said that Tamlin would take care of everything. Feyre only needed to watch from his side. Tamlin had finally returned the previous night so that it could be there for the event. Not to be there with Feyre, and she tried not to be bothered by that. Feyre sat with Tamlin in the Great Hall, being forced to sit through hours of hundreds of eyes upon her, people crying, and giving their thanks to their, quote, savior. Ianthe was close to the doors, consoling and blessing those who left. Feyre couldn't stand 20 minutes of what felt like a new form of torture, and after hours, she wasn't even listening. That didn't stop them from coming from every edge of the court. With them, their tithe payments in whatever form they could pay. Jewels, chickens, crops, clothes. Tamlin didn't care what they brought, but just that it amounted to what they owed. Lucian had called this room the receiving room, even though they all knew what it truly was, the throne room. She wondered if Lucian avoided its true name because of all the time spent in another throne room, under the mountain. Another member of the court approached, this one completely naked, 
Only her hair swinging over her breasts showed any form of modesty. She was empty-handed. She greeted the High Lord on behalf of the water wraiths. Favor remembered seeing her kind before in the pond past the edge of the manor. They were much scarier up close. As the wraith came closer to the two seated on the thrones, Lucian took a step in between the wraith and Feyre. In that moment, she realized why Lucian had been placed on her side of the dais. Feyre immediately became annoyed, thinking that no one would even bother to attack them in their own home. But... At the back of the room, Ianthe had even stopped talking to see what was going on. It had to mean that this encounter was going to be different from all those that had droned on previously, and it was. The wraith begged Tamlin and stated there was no fish left in the lake. While bowing so low to the ground, her hair touched the floor. Tamlin showed no ounce of sympathy. He said that she was to pay, regardless of her circumstances. He told her there were no exceptions, and that she had three days to present her payment or pay double the next tithe. Feyre couldn't believe her ears or her eyes when seeing how Aianthe nodded in agreement. The wraith had nothing to eat, so how the hell could he expect her to give up any food for him? She begged again, but he only reminded her of the three-day timeline. She interrupted him, saying that they had no gold to give. Tamlin, harshly, reprimanded, do not interrupt me. She apologized, bowing even lower to the floor. You have three days to pay or bring double next month, he repeated. If you fail to do so, you know the consequences. He dismissed her with a wave of his hand. Before the next person came forward, Feyre turned to Tamlin. She asked, since they obviously did not need a basket of fish, why would he make her suffer? He only looked towards the wraith leaving the room and said he couldn't make exceptions because once he started everyone would want one. This was beyond baffling to Feyre. She asked why they needed anything from anyone in the court, especially from a wraith that was already starving. He said that it was because it's the way things are done there, and had been done since his father and his father's father. It was the way his son would someday do it too. Well, someday, Feyre thought, if they ever got married, if she ever became less burdensome, and if they ever escaped the demons that haunted them. No one had touched the subject since her return. We could still help her find some way to keep that pond stocked, Feyre urged. But no, Tamlin said. They already had enough to deal with and giving out handouts would only hurt them in the long run. As much as she wanted to fight him right then and there, she knew this wasn't the time or place. Instead, she got up and walked out of the room, out of the manor, all the way to the figure walking towards the pond at the end of her house who was wiping away tears as she walked. Feyre called out to her and the wraith turned around to see who was yelling at her. Feyre asked her how much her tithe was in gold, what the fish was worth in gold. The creature only responded with, far more than you have in your pocket. Feyre tore the gold jeweled bracelet from her wrist, the necklace from her throat and the diamond earrings from her ears. She pressed them to the wraith's hand. Take these, give him what you owe, and then buy yourself some food. The creature asked what payment Feyre would require for the jewelry, but Feyre said she didn't require anything in return and pleaded for the wraith to take her gift. While the stranger looked at Feyre as though she had grown a second head, it grabbed the jewels from her hands. Thank you, she said. I will not forget this kindness, nor will any of my sisters. Later that night, Feyre found herself at an exceptionally quiet dinner table. It was all of 10 minutes before Feyre put down her fork and demanded to know what was going on. Tamlin told her she already knew what it was, but she didn't reply. He continued saying that it was because Feyre had given the water wraith her jewelry, things he had given her. Feyre retorted with the fact that they already had a whole house full of gold and jewels. She demanded that he answer why she shouldn't give them to her since the jewels meant nothing to Feyre, regardless of the fact she's never worn the same piece of jewelry twice here. Why does anybody even care about it? 
He was seething at this point, thinning his lips before saying that Farah undermined the laws of his court when she behaved the way she did. Because that's how things were done here. And when Farah handed the fairy the money she needed, it made him and the entire court look weak. Don't you talk to me like that, Farah snapped, making Talon slam his hands on the table with extended claws. Farah only leaned towards him and braced her own hands on the table. She said, you still have no idea what it was like for me to be on the verge of starvation for months at a time. And you can call her a glutton all you like, but I have sisters too. And I remember what it was like to return home without any food. So maybe she'll spend all that money on stupid things. Maybe she and her sisters will have no self-control, but I'm not going to take that chance and let them starve because of some ridiculous rule that your ancestors invented. She felt something stirring in her bones. Lucian finally jumped in and said that Feyre meant no harm. Tamlin said he knew that, but Lucian continued to say that worse things have and had happened, that Tamlin needed to calm down. Did I ask for your opinion? Tamlin snarled at Lucian, who only looked down in subordinates. Feyre wanted to scream in anger, wanted to scream at Lucian to look up and push back, that they were right and Tamlin was wrong. She wanted to scream at him to not back down. But then she was gone. Well, she was still physically there, but somehow she was also looking through another's eyes, feeling another's emotions that were clever and old and sad and full of guilt and hopelessness. And just as quickly as she had left, she was back in her own body. She realized that she had seen through Lucian's eyes and had been inside his head. She stood up, taking in the realization of exactly who had given her that specific gift. We are not done with this meal, Tamlin snarled. Oh, get over yourself, she said. As she left, she thought she saw two handprints burned into the wood, but prayed to the cauldron that neither of the men noticed. She also prayed that Lucian never knew the violation she had just engaged in. See, this is why I like these chapters. I mean, I don't like is a, a weird word, <laughs> but Farah finally stood up for herself. I noticed something in my chapter that had the wheels in my mind spinning a little bit, and I want to get your thoughts on this. The wheels of the bus go. <laughs> you know how when Reese and Feyre are somewhat, somewhat discussing Illyrians. Yes. We had just heard how there were rogue Illyrians that were hunted down and taken care of that had been a part of Amarantha's cause. Right. In Akatar, there was a head of someone from the Night Court found in the Spring Court. Do you think maybe someone within Reese's court system had taken care of a rogue Illyrian and it truly was a night court head of someone that had been working with Amarantha though that had been staked? Do you think that could have been a possibility? Maybe. I'm still confused as to how slash why that happened. Yeah, I think that Amarantha had instructed Reese, you know, I could see Reese being the one to do it because I'm sure she instructed Reese. I, w I feel like Reese did it. To do it. to Yeah, she probably sent him to do it to send a message. And he thought, well, if I'm going to have to do this, I could two birds, one stone, take care of the someone with that's going against what I actually stand for. But I'm still doing what she asked me to. Technically. Right. I don't think we have any confirmation of this, but it made me wonder... If that was a possibility. I want it to be. I would like that. I feel like that'd be something Reese would do. You know, he seems cunning <laughs> enough cunning, to do smart. something so silly. Yeah. I feel like he would have the wherewithal to have planned something that far in advance. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So then moving on from that, when Favor got back to the spring court and Tamlin's just being... Oh, there's so many things. I'm so frustrated. Mm, I love him so much. There's a lot of highlights on notes from him this chapter. <laughs> She's looking around the room that he 
freaking destroyed. Like, I'm sorry, sir. You knew about this bargain. You've known about this bargain. And you still destroyed your study when it actually got called in? Seriously, my guy? Okay, whatever. Feyre says something about that's who Tamam was. He's protector, defender. She can't uh, ask him to stop being that way. I put a note in, right? Saying, my thoughts on this are that it's one thing to worry. It's another to let your fears run rampant and use that as an excuse to control others and behave violently. There's no reason that you can't feel worried and feel the things you're feeling, but you do not need to act like this. This is insane. This is next level. And it's not a surprise. You knew she had made this bargain. You knew this was a possibility and you're going to throw a tantrum about it. Seriously? I wish I was surprised. I'm not surprised at all. I wish I had faith in his reactions now. (laughs) And I feel like every time he reacts, it's just more and more of the same thing. And I'm losing that hope of Tamlin getting better his reoccurring promises of being better yeah it's like my ex do you remember him yeah the ex-fiance who always said I'll be better next time and never was that's that's the vibes I'm getting I felt so sad for her that she's like I've missed you let's go upstairs like let's be together she wanted to be with him right and he's like hey we gotta talk night court I gotta get all this information on this person I hate so much it's like does your hate for Reese way more upon you than your love your supposed love for Feyre does that is that bigger to you your hatred for the night court because that's that speaks volumes that's amazing but you know what really pissed me off Abby (laughs) please tell me it's right after that when he held a hand up when she tries (gasps) saying like why are you pressing me for information he holds his freaking hand up in her face excuse you what? Uh-huh. Oh, there is nothing that will piss me off more than when we're having a conversation, me and anyone else. If you put your hand or your finger in my to face stop to you silence from me, oh, oh, immediately I hate you as a person. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter who you are. Mm, no, 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 no. If I'm like cussing and attack like that, which I would never do. I was about to say, when have you, in your life have you ever done that? I can justify why someone would be like, uh, back up, you know? But that's not what's happening here. She's like, what do you mean? Like, I want to be with you and you want information. You're more worried about information on the night court. And he throws his hand up in her face. She's like, I miss you. Yes. Can we please go upstairs? I haven't seen you in a week. Obviously, I've been through some shit. Yes. Can we hang out? No. What pissed me off too, because what doesn't piss me off anymore, is when Tamlin's like, I'm sorry, this is for our own good. You're not sorry. It's excuses. If you were sorry, you wouldn't be asking this of her. That is so manipulative. Yes. This is for your own good. Like shit it is. It's like the bullshitty, yes, that's how I feel. It's bullshitty. But this gave me vibes of, I don't want to, but I have to. No, that's bullshit. Bullshit. If he wanted to, he would. Is that not one of our favorite sayings? Slash my husband's least favorite saying. (laughs) You know, mm -mm, my favorite. If he wanted to, he would. And it's not just a he thing. If they wanted to, if she wanted to, it doesn't matter. But in this circumstance, if Tamlin wanted to, he would have joined her upstairs and been with her 
whether emotionally, physically, whatever. And we all know what they're going to do because they only have a sexual healthy, not even healthy, a sexual relationship at this point. But still, if he wanted to, he would. And he doesn't. He just wants to worry about the freaking night court. So I just checked my notes on this part of the chapter Mm -hmm. because I remember writing a few things. And boy, (laughs) sure did I. Here's the page, Libby. Holy, Abby, the whole thing is highlighted. I'm aware. Okay. There's like two sentences that aren't. Holy crap. So this is the exact portion we were just talking about beforehand. She walks in to see this fucking ruined house, uh. which we'll get to in a second. And she's like, let's go upstairs. I missed you. I went out of my mind. That's all I needed to hear. All she wants is him. She wants to kiss him. She, you know, she rose on her toes to kiss him. There's so much more I wanted to ask him, but later, right? I need to ask you some questions. I said, my guy, read the room. Read the room. Just read it. And then we're going to go back over to when she walked in. Abby, question real quick. What? If you told your husband, let's go upstairs, would anything else, would he have any other thing to say than let's go? My husband has autism. Yes, he would. He'd be like, did you know this fact about dinosaurs that I learned today? Okay. Side note, you just started a tangent. One day when we first moved in together, I am, again, have been overweight my whole entire life. So like lingerie was never really a thing. Okay. For plus size ladies until like what, the last three years, four years. So I had put on this cute, little black lacy set and a cardigan on and I was off work that day and he was teleworking because COVID and I walked downstairs and I'm thinking he's gonna think I look so cute because I thought I looked so cute I walk downstairs and I'm feeling myself and my husband goes that's weird you usually have more clothes on (laughs) oh no and then continues making his lunch And like, it wasn't an offensive, he didn't mean it in an offensive way. He didn't mean to hurt me. He's like, oh, that's a, that's a different outfit choice. Like you usually, I I like it, you know, (laughs) you just usually wear more clothes. (laughs) Oh gosh. For like two weeks, I wouldn't talk to him or wouldn't touch him because we were still learning each other at that time. And I didn't know he doesn't understand social cues. To your question, Libby, no, he wouldn't. If any of my family or any friends that don't want to hear things about me or my husband, it's and I'm not going into depth, it, just stop now. Goodbye, sister. If I told my husband, let's go to the bedroom. Yes, let's go. He'd be gone. He would already be there. When I read this and he's just like, yeah, after we talk about the night court, I swear if I ever got some sort of response like that, I'd be like, when did you stop loving me? What happened? Not even stop. When did you stop wanting me? Or when did I stop becoming like the center of your world, really? Yes. She's like, later. And he goes, no, now, while it's fresh in your mind. I'm like, You know what's going to stay fresh in my mind? That response. That will never leave. That forever. That will always be there. Back to when she walks in and notices like the steady walls, the claw marks rake down them all over them. Yes. The entire place was just destroyed. A mess now. Here was my little blurb about that. (laughs) I said, this entire section pisses me off. He's so bad at regulating his emotions that he decided the best course of action was to throw a fit like a literal toddler. Yeah. Tim Tam, the 500 year old child man. Yeah. We've talked about this. I don't really get angry much. I angered very rarely. I'm talking like maybe twice a year will I get actually angry. Right. I can't fathom having a fight with my husband and my reaction would be to ruin my home. No. 
like most normal people, you wouldn't look around and think, I'm going to destroy some shit. I'm going to get violent to cope. You know what? Who would do that? A two-year-old. As an adult, a toxic person. Or yeah, a two-year-old. Somebody who has not had the time or ability to learn how to regulate their emotions. And I specify time because time is for children. This man has had 500 years. No excuse. You would think that he would have visited a therapist at least once. He could control himself under the mountain next to Amarantha. Oh, shocking. He could keep himself under wraps all down there, but suddenly he doesn't have the wherewithal to keep it together now? Mm. In front of the woman he wants to marry? Amarantha's torturing, Feyre. I feel like if I'm watching someone torture my spouse, then I could get violent, but not here not here even then i would want to get violent towards that person not the room the room didn't piss me off the room didn't attack my love and then i love how i love how he decides that like obviously sex isn't important right now nor is like not even sex just like spending one-on-one time quality one-on-one time with his girlfriend fiance that just got ripped away from week but we're gonna ignore that part i love how he's like we need to know everything the layout of the night court who you saw what weapons and powers they bore why would she have focused on that why yeah why and i love how she goes i didn't realize i was a spy you didn't talk to me. You never do. Why would I just automatically have thought to notate all this, keep tabs of all of this? Hmm. Yes. Ooh, this is something that I definitely think I need to know. No. Right. No. Can we go back to the beginning of your chapter when she's still in the night court? Because I have notes here. Okay. So Reese throws up, throws up a whole bunch of info. There is a lot. Like Alice, it was Reese's turn. And so obviously we learned about the King of Hybern and the wars coming and the Illyrians and blah, 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 blah. But I like when we get to page 71 in the book, when she goes, why are you telling me this? She's gotten two full pages of info, a lot of info to be sharing if she's not working with him. Yeah. And he goes, I'm telling you for two reasons. One, you're close to Tamlin. And then two, you have a skill set that I need. Rumor as you caught a cereal. And she's like, it wasn't that hard. And Reese goes, yeah, well, I've failed twice. Most people cannot. And then that kind of puts it into perspective that like Lucian really thought she was going to die. Oh, yeah. Kind of was banking on it. Like even the High Lord of the Night Court hasn't caught one. I'm sorry. You guys let someone in your court die to get her there in the first place. And you're just going to send her out to be killed just for no. Why? You fought so hard, lost so many people to get her here. This is your one chance at freedom and you were just going to let her get killed? You just, what? Oh, 100%. It doesn't make sense. I like how Reese continues on and is talking about her power. At home, her power is not talked about. They do not acknowledge it. No, no, no. It is like the huge elephant in the room that you can't give any attention to. It's like the the redheaded stepchild in the room at this point. Almost quite literally red, the red... (laughs) Yeah, we we don't acknowledge anything red, so yeah. yes. <laughs> Literally. When he starts to put doubt in her head about Tamlin being the great and wonderful Spring Court High Lord, where she goes, where he goes, you are no one subject. And like he can see the power she possesses. He knows what this woman is worth, I guess. 
And he's almost immediately offended that she could think that there's no such thing as a high lady. Like, we will be discussing that later. What the fuck? And he goes, but I know you more than you realize, I think. And I don't believe for one damn minute that you're remotely fine with being a pretty trophy for someone who sat on his ass for nearly 50 years, then sat on his ass while you were shredded apart. Or you've got another choice. You can master whatever power we gave to you and make it count. You can play a role in this war because war is coming one way or another. I just want to say his commentary about Tamlin is what I've been saying since the last book. So yes. Yes, Reese. Yes, darling. And I like how he's like, you want to save the mortal realm? Then become someone Prympian needs. She's trying to help back at home. All she wants to do is help. What does Tamlin say to do? Go paint. Nothing. Literally don't go to do a thing. I know. Stay in the house, go for walks. Supervised walks. Yeah. There is no way in hell I could just sit at home indefinitely without a point. I would be so depressed so fast. Right? Very, very sad. Very, very fast. And she is. I just get so frustrated that Feyre is convincing and defending Tamlin so much to herself in her mind and to Reese. And it's like, he's literally saying all the things you're feeling. And yet when you hear other people saying it, you shut down and you're like, no, but poor Tim Tam. And Feyre hears more in that one little section later in your chapter than she's heard at all in the entire time she's been in the freaking spring court because she's shushed. So Feyre spins a lot of this book already begging Tamlin and Lucian to key her in, to fill her in on the, the gaps and to just inform her, let her be part of the knowledge. And Reese is just telling it to her. She's, I think when she's asking, why are you telling me this? It's because when she's back at the spring court, everything is hush hush. She's not allowed to be part of everything. So it's probably shocking to her that he's so open. She's like, well, why do I get to know this? You know, like what, what is happening? Yeah. Why aren't you freaking out like everybody else does around me? What makes me worthy here? Which is sad. It's very sad. Like the more I think about that, that is so sad. So I want to kind of like skip back real quick to Tamlin's interrogation. I liked that she worded it that way. Farrah's asking him what's the point of this information why are you asking me for this like why do you need to know these things and he was like well we need this do you even remember and it says like his claws are right there at his knuckles and that felt so threatening like why are you bringing your claws out it, it, like to Feyre she is supposed to be your soulmate your person that you are spending forever with you're committing to forever with and you're going to bring out your claws because she didn't just blindly answer you right away that was so simple of a thing she just wanted to know she asked you a question and your response was to start bringing out your claws my guy what the fuck how is that okay how are we not reacting more to that do you know what he said at that point that pisses me off what we need to know these things Feyre or or can you not remember her response is just to calm him like oh no I'm okay nothing's damaged why are you coddling him she's like uh, I can remember everything he didn't damage my mind they start to talk about and we can kind of go around different parts of this but they're talking about Feyre's powers potential powers Lucian is talking about High Lords finding out that she has all of the powers all of their powers possibly and he says something along the lines of like when they realize their power is missing or that Tamlin's bride now has it just immediately ew she has a name asshat no he doesn't hold on yeah yep 
would not be pleased to learn of a drop of his power is missing or that Tamlin's bride now has it. She's no longer a person. She is Tamlin's belonging, his bride. She's no longer the savior of Perinthium. No, no. She's simply another one of Tamlin's possessions. Tamlin's bride. Thayra's not even mad about that. She doesn't even react. No, she's not upset that she just got referred to as only. And she's not even Tamlin's bride. They're not even married. So fuck off. When they're talking about how they shouldn't train Feyre because other people would notice and then it would bring attention to This sentence alone made me hate Tamlin. This is the nail in the coffin for you? Yes. I was hyper independent for 25 years, right? I don't need no man. I can do anything a man can do and I can do it better. And I can do it by myself, right? This is what Tim Tam, the fucking ice cream man said. Training would draw too much attention. You don't need to train. I can guard you from whatever comes our way. Okay, but you can't and you didn't, dude. Immediately, Favorite was like, all I could think about were the times he couldn't. Her response still doesn't make me mad enough because she should have been pissed off, right? She's still thinking like, she's not going to allow another Amarantha. I did this myself, right? But not... Fuck you. Oh, she's not mad that he said that. She's no. like, but there was a time. She's more worried about preventing it from happening again. Not like, why the fuck would you say that? I wish at some point she would have said, Tamlin, do you honestly not think after all this shit I've been through my entire life, I am not capable of taking care of myself? Because for the longest time, nobody took care of me. And I would love for her to just say, elaborate on that, please. Go ahead. Explain that further to me. My favorite thing now, I have comebacks for when people say stupid shit. Mm-hmm. And my favorite one is, that is a really interesting thing that you thought was okay to say out loud. I love that saying. Yes. Or that's funny that you thought it was okay to say that to me. Yeah. Or my friend, that's an inside thought. We keep those ones inside, which I know when I go home to visit my family, one of those is going to have to come out. Favor should have used all of those to Tamlin in this situation. Or even just, what a thing to say out loud. That's one of my favorites. What a thing to say out loud. Oh, it gets worse. When Tamlin is like trying to keep his claws contained, he's talking about, even if I did train you, it'd be years before you'd be ready. So despite what he thinks you might be able to do, Feyre, I'm not going to have you anywhere near a battlefield, especially if it means revealing whatever powers you have to our enemies. You'd be fighting Highburn at your front and have foes with friendly faces at her back. Let her try. She wasn't asking. She does not need your permission. You do not get to not have her or not let her. There's none of that. She didn't ask you she shouldn't be asking you she's like i don't care let me help and he's like i care i want you what he wants is this little trophy that he can put in a room and everybody can look at it and be like oh look what she did the savior printian if he cared why doesn't he spend any time with her outside of the night court questionings or you know showing up for for parties i mean every time they could be alone together he's just not there He's gone all the time. He leaves her alone to be guarded by sentries. You know what? At least Lucian's trying. A little bit. I mean, he's not really, but at least he's like, if maybe we trained her? And then Tamlin comes back and he's like, there's too many variables. And there's going to be conflicts with Hybern now. And maybe if there was no war. Well, great. And Favor goes, that's wishful thinking. Because when is that not going to happen? It frustrated me when... 
again, she's telling herself, well, he is my high lord. He is the protector, the defendant. Fuck off. Ugh. Feyre, stop it. But when she goes, I could bow to him on this one thing. This one thing? This one thing. Sure, Feyre, sure. But she brings herself some justice here when she says, I could do it. But Reese's voice saying, you are no one's subject, pops into her head. I love that. I love that Reese's voice is finally in her head, that he's finally giving her that little bit of power. It just gets me that she's trying so hard to convince herself to do this, to bend to him. Like, why? This is not you, Feyre. This is not the Feyre we got to know in the first book. And I know she's dealing with trauma. I know she's dealing with PTSD. But fuck, I'm so tired of Tamlin just steamrolling over her. And she literally, what she says, bows to him on it. She defends it and excuses it and explains it away to herself even. If you have to convince yourself to go along with this shit, then you should know that this is an issue. You shouldn't have to talk yourself into agreeing with somebody. She's trying to rationalize it. You shouldn't have to. I'm aware. And honestly, over-rationalization is also a trauma response. So again, find a fucking fae therapist. I, you would make so much money. There's got to be someone. You'd make so much money as a fae therapist. They've got enough clientele. Apparently, it's a very underserved community. Listen, the entire world there needs some help. So I might as well. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, but then we can go into my chapter. It's a very long chapter for boiling down to Tamlin's an asshole for requesting people to bring him chickens and fish and corn for no reason other than he can. I have feelings here about the tithe. So first off, tithing is typically what you do to show worship to a god. That sounds insane. Continue. So why would we then tithe Tamlin? He is not a god. I'm not understanding it. But is he not? He's a high lord. In the eyes of his people, isn't he supposed to be like a god? Is that not the same as saying maybe, okay, maybe he's like king of your land or a president of your supposed country? You know, that's what that feels like. That doesn't make him a god. He is still of the same being kind as you. He's a little more powerful, a little bit stronger. Yeah, sure. He's got that title that doesn't make him another level of godlike being. They've talked about the uh, the forgotten gods. They've said that there are gods. Tamlin is not a god. Why are you tithing to him? It's just, it's icky to me. I think it's a creepy, creepy thing. I have to tell you something, my friend. I hate to tell you this. Tamlin's icky. A what? Tamlin's icky. Tamlin is icky. Icky. I thought you said a he. I was like, I know. No. I was like, yeah, he's a he. He goes by he. I was very confused. He's icky. Yes. Tamlin is icky. Also, Feyre's just being like, hey, so this water wraith is coming on behalf of all of her people to let you know they have no food. Tamlin's demanding unnecessary fish or whatever, money, fish that he, that he doesn't need. Impossible thing. They don't have food. They literally don't have food. They are starving. And what do they want them to do is bring them gold. Well, listen, if they had gold, they'd probably be able to buy themselves food. And if they don't have any food, why are you requesting it to what? Let it sit there and rot? I want to understand why Ianthe thought everyone was ready three fucking months later. We had already been told they spent the last 50 years confined under the mountain and suddenly three months is all it's going to take to get back up on your feet again. What the hell, Anthe? Is she that insane? Yes, yes. <laughs> I think she's lost her marbles. What irritates me too is that we see that Lucian gives the water wraiths a look of disapproval. 
And it makes me wonder, like, do you think this is, like, possible classism or racism? <gasps> mm. Do I like that? No. No, I don't. But he did it. There it is. Lucian's face tightened with disapproval towards the water wraith. For what? What did they do to you, Lucian? Do you actually have an issue with them? And then Tamlin's reasoning for the tithe. Ewey. Tamlin's reasoning for the tithe is because, quote, it's the way things have been done. It's the way they will always be. I hate that. Because it's the way it's always been, it's the way it will always be, that's what makes it okay, is because my forefathers did it. Okay, well, our forefathers also thought enslaving people was cool and that women shouldn't vote. So that's the vibes I'm getting here. Disgusting is how I feel about that. Very disgusted. And I get because the water wraith was like, my sisters and I are starving. And I know Feyre immediately related to that and was like, I will go help them because obviously the people around me are doing jack shit. I have to be the one to do something. And I love how she's dripping in jewels, dripping in a beautiful dress and in walks this water wraith with no clothes on, obviously no hair done, obviously has nothing to give. And Feyre's like, here, take it all because it means nothing to her because it shouldn't mean anything to her. Right. Please take this jewelry that I'm only going to wear one time that's going to go back into a room if this means that you can have food for you and your sisters. And I like how the water wraith says, even though she's questioning it, you know, like, why are you doing this? I will never forget this and neither will my sisters because that was probably the only kindness this wraith's ever gotten in her entire life from anyone. Well, everyone's disgusted when they walked in. So I have a note too when Tamlin's yelling at the water wraith while they're saying they don't have anything. And he's saying, you know, you have three days and, you know, they're like, well, we have no gold. And he's just, do not interrupt me. Feyre says that she was unable to stomach that merciless face. I'm sorry, you're going to marry a man that you can't stomach looking at? Feyre, what part of that does not seem like a huge sign that you shouldn't be with this person? Leave. Nope, just gonna stay with them for funsies. I like how later on when they're talking about it and Tamlin's saying, you know, like you said, I can't make exceptions. Everyone's gonna demand the same treatment. Feyre's like, we don't need these things. We don't need golden fleece, jars of jams. If they don't have fish, why do you think three days is going to solve their problem? We don't need it. We need for them to get back on up on their feet so your court can run again and you haven't given them enough time and saying three days should be enough. If three months hasn't been enough, why would three days solve their problem? Oh, suddenly, I know you said you didn't have money, but if I gave you three more days, would you have money? You've had three months and you couldn't figure it out then, but three days should be all that you need to fix that problem. Right? It was just three days too early. Is that, was it, that was all it was? I know that, hey, you guys weren't here three months ago and you're from the ground up of your entire life but I need your tithe and then what you had talked about earlier where he's saying that's the way this has always been done he continues on saying it's the way my son shall do it <laughs> and it says he offered a smile and reached for my hand <laughs> someday I'm sorry are you fantasizing about your future children while talking about how you're going to continue to deprive and take away from people who have nothing they is immediately disgusted just immediately disgusted. I'm immediately disgusted. Hell yeah, she better be disgusted. Ew. And she's like, someday. Because he's like, my kids someday. Someday, if we ever got married, if I ever became less of a burden and we both escaped the shadows haunting us. I'm like, hell yeah, girl. That's the actual issue here. 
Thank you. Any other reaction would not have been okay with me. Any other like, well, no, no. I'm so glad she reacted appropriately here. She meets up with the Wraith and like gives her the jewels, which I want to know why she's wearing ruby studded gold. Why is she wearing red jewels? She doesn't want to wear red. Has this girl not made it clear? Right. Why? Why are you continuing to throw red in her face? And again, guess who is the one who made her wear it? Ianthe. Ianthe tells her it's the the color that, that was better for her. The ruby. Fuck you, Ianthe. How many times does she have to tell you she doesn't like red? Fuck you. What is that? When the two people are yelling across the ship? What's your name? Fuck you. What's your name? Fuck you. That's what it reminded Fuck me you. of. Fuck you. That's what it, yeah, yeah, I hear it. What's your name? Ianthe. Fuck you, Ianthe. <laughs> Fuck you, Ianthe. So now we have this promise forever for the water rates to remember. Right. Which is something to tuck into the back of our pockets. But I need to talk about the very end of my chapter because literally the last two pages. All right. So this is when Tamlin's throwing a little baby hissy fit mm-hmm. when Thayra comes back and they have dinner. And I like how Feyre is not going to approach the subject. She lets it sit for about 10 minutes when everybody's being really awkward. Yep. Lucian just kind of sitting there eating. Tamlin's being quiet, but not just quiet to be quiet. He's being vindictively quiet. Yes. Right. And so finally, Feyre, to break the ice, is like, What? <laughs> What? <laughs> Tamlin goes, you know, you know what? I read that and I was like, are we literally three? I would do that with a toddler. Are we children? No, I'm asking you for funsies. I, why the? No, I don't know what. And so Feyre starts to express how she's feeling and asking like, why shouldn't I give them? They're hurting. I can help. This means nothing to me. Yes. Why? I don't understand. Please help me. And does he help her understand? No. He throws a tantrum twice. We now have two tantrums. And I said, hi, Tam. People are allowed to express their emotions without you getting immediately angry. Yeah. Immediately angry. Very last page of the chapter, page 95. When Tamlin talks to Lucian, talks down to Lucian and says, did I ask for your opinion? (gasps) Okay. So you're going to rely on Lucian for literally day to day. He's going to be your emissary. You're going to talk to him every day about everything and ask for his input on everything. But the minute he doesn't agree with you, he's lower than you. Mm-hmm. Oh, I lost my absolute marbles. Suddenly you didn't ask. Well, guess what, Tam? I never asked anything from you and yet here you are. You know what, though? The end of your chapter has my favorite quote. Feyre. And <laughs> yep, it's when Tamlin's telling her, we're not finished. Nah, he growled. And she just Ooh. get over yourself and leaves. And I'm like, finally, yes, I was over the moon thrilled that she she said that and just left. I love how he finally starts showing his true colors and like talking down to Lucian. Like, did I, did I ask for your opinion? Mm-hmm. The way he looked at him, I said, that's Tamlin. Ta-da. Yep. He's not perfect. This is Tamlin. The man who's looking down on his best friend with disgust. At how fucking dare you interrupt? So we know that Tamlin uses sex to make things up with Vera. Manipulation. Yep. Do you think he even does like literally anything at all? Do you think he's ever even apologized or acknowledged himself with Lucian and having crossed the line? Or do you think like he doesn't even bother with anyone else? I do not think that is of issue to him. Like he's just not even worried about making anything up to anyone else. No. Yeah. Not even. I don't think he cares. Do you have a favorite quote, Abby? No, (laughs) I don't. I I really don't think I do. Because as much as I love the climax of these chapters, that sounded dirty. There was actually no climax in these chapters. Let's be real. (laughs) They were too icky for you. There's nothing that stands out like, I love this so much. Right. Abby, can you tell us about our phenomenal star of the week this week? No. Fair of the Nath. Uh, goodbye, listeners. Podcast is over. See you later. Yes, of course I can. 
No, it's the lovely Chelsea. Her name's Chelsea Lately, and she's on Instagram at, at what Chelsea reads lately. Okay, we all know that I am not as straight as an arrow. We've been there talking about that. <laughs> this woman is like Bryce Quinlan vibes through and through. Oh, who would have thought it's her one of her favorites? Well, that makes a heck of a lot of sense. This woman is beautiful. And not only is she beautiful, she's very smart. And she's in her 30s. She's flirting and vibing, which is all of the things we love. So Chelsea has her about me blurb, and I'm going to read it like normal for you all. She says, I describe myself as your friendly neighborhood Bryce Quinlan, and I spend my days working as a mental health therapist and my nights reading and theorizing. I love her so much already already i love her chelsea this is my formal application to be your best friend okay <laughs> i have one dog arlo and two black cats loki and salem i'm reiterating please be my best friend okay everything about her just keeps getting better and better i know i I just want black, black cats are my favorite and the name Arlo is so cute. Okay. I started my account back in April and just hoping to find a space where I can express my love for a hobby that has been something I've loved for so long, but only recently rediscovered. Girl, you, me, and everyone same. Mm -hmm. I used to read Harry Potter under my covers as a kid with a flashlight, but fell out of reading just due to life, college, and mental health struggles. I, like so many people, started my adult reading journey with Akatar. Heck yeah, you did. But it was reading Crescent City where I was able to find myself again. Oh, I have chills. Okay, well, I'm not gonna cry because I'm definitely not re listening to CC2. Bryce gave me the confidence to love and be myself, especially in a body I wasn't necessarily comfortable with after gaining weight. Bryce's character just spoke so deeply to me, her being a party girl and healing from trauma and grief and finding ways to celebrate and love who you are. I love going for walks and hikes in my free time along with reading. I love a good true kind podcast or YouTube video and or documentary. I also love anything beauty related like skincare, healthcare, makeup, and nails. So that's always a fun hobby for me to enjoy. I'm sorry, Abby, are you guys the same person? Like what is happening here? Everything she's saying i'm like check check uh chelsea want to come to italy and have a girl's day okay thank you bye oh libby you're about to lose your marbles are you ready okay some fun facts about me i always love to share with people because they make me seem cooler than i am ma'am don't even get me started okay i used to work at walt disney world in epcot and universal studios orlando at wizarding world of harry potter and hogsmeade no 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 you can't gloss over that abby you cannot gloss over that rewind a little bit we're back sorry i'm sorry back up disney world epcot i know I, is mine and my husband's favorite place in the whole world our favorite place we just went a month ago and we're already like when can we go back we are missing it so hard that's why i said you're gonna get excited but listen, she also has an extra rib. So don't what? forget about that. Uh, and an extra vertebrae. And she's been to seven different countries. She is a self-proclaimed book dragon and an enemies to lover enthusiast. Ugh. Bryce Quinlan and Poppy. <gasps> there it is. You're going to make Abby cry. Okay. This is the fourth time I would like to reiterate. We must be best friends. So Balfour are my soul characters and I love to cosplay them on my bookstagram. Okay. I love making new friends. Okay, good. Okay. And getting new book recommendations and talking theories. I want to always make sure my bookstagram is a safe space for any and all readers. You can come join me on this adventure and we can be bookstagram friends. Well, I'm first in line. So darling listeners, if you guys are anything like Abby right now, go follow her and become besties with this amazing person. I'm not girl crushing on the real life Bryce Quinlan, just like I'm not girl crushing on my Feyre Ashley. So yes, you are. Yes, you are, Abby. We can all see it. It's fine. I'm not getting flustered or red faced. Libby, would you like to talk about the dreamers? Calling all dreamers. 
We want to hear from you. Send us an email to a court of thorns and podcasts at gmail.com and tell us everything, how you found the series, what your favorite or most disliked moments were, your favorite and most hated characters, questions you have for us. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify so that we can find more of our bookish friends. To the people who listen and the dreams that are answered, we will see you next week. And remember, don't let the hard days win. Thank you hear me from the dark, listening from the fight, makes me taking all my feelings, you in my head, you in my heart, I'm never in the dark. Favor wondered if I Anthony, if I Anthony. I Anthony, that's her new name. I Anthony, great. Yeah, that's that's her new name. I Anthony. Fuck. I Anthony. I thought she was Lanthy for the longest time, so <laughs> If Lanthy. It's her name. It's such an ass name. Oh my gosh, this is our outro already. I know it.